Welcome to another episode of Bevington Banter with your hosts, Cassidy Pocock and my father, Randy Bevington. And we were all prepared to have our third Bevington on with us uh, and talk about Afghanistan today. But unfortunately, uh, Cade couldn't join us. The girls are sick. So we are pivoting and we're going to do some culture and theology talk. And we'll bring that episode to you later this week because we really he's going to bring a lot to that episode. Yeah. Speaking of theology, um, I listened to your sermon. I thought it was very good. Oh, thank you. Yes, I had an opportunity to speak. I normally I, I lead our youth group and every once in a while I get to speak in our main service. I got to do that yesterday. Yeah, I kind of got hung up on the part about uh, Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I mean, all of it was very good, but I just began to, you hear one statement and your mind starts going down that trail about all the things that you could expound on. Well, on that. that's why and, that's and the did. foundational, started, yeah. that's why it's the foundational verse for the whole series. Right. This is weeks of going through different char- characteristics of God and how they're always the same and always true. And I thought it was cool because... I was thinking, okay, now Cassidy, you should explain this about what it means to be the same. And then you started doing exactly that. Oh, thank you. you. Same word I was going to use. Is consistent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You also used Titus 1-2 yesterday, which I used in my sermon yesterday as well. No way. Yes. Wow. Because I was speaking about eternity. Yes. Very cool. Well, before we jump into the culture and theology talk in depth, I quickly want to say on a small political note, I know that we don't have a lot of listeners, sure, but I know that we have some because we have a lot of friends and family in California. We have some listeners in California. So if you live in California and as at the time of this recording, you still have time, go vote in the gubernatorial recall. It is so important um vote and this isn't just a message to go vote express your opinion this is a message to go vote yes on the recall (laughs) and vote larry elder and if you're not in california it's not just pertinent to california this has national implications no most notably i think you might notice we haven't heard anything from miss diane feinstein recently and i hear that's because you look at how joe biden is deteriorating sorry, wow, deteriorating. I hear Diane Feinstein is also very bad and she could very well be leaving her position in the Senate before the next election for the seat, which would mean that the governor would appoint her replacement. We currently have a 50-50 split in the Senate. So having someone like Larry Elder appoint the replacement has huge national implications. Yeah, I better move back there so that Larry can appoint me to the Senate. I I, I will give the same advice uh, that the first pastor I worked for in La Mesa, California, uh, Pastor Don Young used to joke, uh, vote early, vote often. You kind of did that once when you came out of the polling place with your sample ballot. Yeah, I was living in uh, El Cajon, right on the border of El Cajon and Lakeside, and I was coming out of a polling place, and this lady goes on her way in. See, they would always send sample ballots, and 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 my, my wife and I would do was mark them ahead of time. So we had it all marked out. You just go in and copy it over onto the ballot. And so I had my sample ballot with me that had all been pre-marked. So I was coming out, this lady goes, I have no idea who to vote for. What, what should I do about this and this? And we talked a little bit. And finally I said, you know, my ballot's all, uh, marked on all these things i said if you'd like it you could just take it in and and use it and she's like oh thanks and she took it from me and went in i can't imagine just blindly grabbing some (laughs) random person's ballot and 
but I look like an I look like an honest guy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think that is serious about vote early and vote off. Just go in even if you have if you have not voted and you aren't planning to vote. Well, guess what? People are going into these polling places right now in California and finding out they've already voted. So it's really yes. Some people are walking in and they're being told that they already voted, which they're like, well, I'm here to vote now. So it's really important. Get out there. So vote. Gee, maybe, maybe this thing called ID would be <laughs> helpful. Just a, I know, a crazy thought. Not to mention they mailed out ballots to everybody again. So yes. anyway. Yes. I've received ballots uh, for you in Ohio. Oh yeah. And I, it's, it's been tempting, but I, as of yet have restrained. <laughs> I've, filled out the information to be removed from the Ohio voters list several times. Well, let's move into our culture talk. So apparently the VMAs, the video music awards, they're still a thing and they happened last night. And I heard that the only reason that I know of this is because it impacts the culture, I suppose. It's, it shows what we are, and, and that is interesting to me. And so I haven't watched any of it, but I uh, read an article and talked about Little Nas X won the video of the year. And for that video of the song, uh, I believe it's called Call Me By My Name. And in the video, he essentially goes to hell and gives Satan a lap dance. That's the video of the year. That's what we're promoting. And in his acceptance speech, I even saw that he said, quote, first, I want to say thank you to the gay agenda. Let's go gay agenda. And it just speaks to this general over-sexualization of our culture. And I hear there's, you know, performances with very explicit dancing, and that's not new. It's been going on at these award shows for so long, even at like the big Super Bowl halftime shows and all of this. And I just want to talk about a little bit about that. Just the over-sexualization of our society, kind of where did, what was the impetus? I didn't live through the free love era, but maybe that's where it started. I don't know. You can tell me about that. Well, I kind of was on the latter part of the free love generation. <laughs> and no, this is, has nothing to do with that. Um, I don't really see that connection. Yeah, that was just, you know, rebellion against the establishment and, and yeah, there's obviously there's that's still going on, but this is, this is so many levels above that. I'm just curious who, who does the VMAs? Uh, it was on MTV. What does MTV have to do with music videos? Nothing anymore. It's reality. Yeah, exactly. Shows. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I find that kind of odd that apparently they're doing video music awards. I, I, I remember the original days of uh, MTV. Some buggles, video killed the radio star. That's right. That's right. That's some good stuff. We used to watch hours and hours of it in the Navy. We'd, guys oh, would you videotape. It. Yeah. Well, we VHS would record tapes. it on VHS tapes and then take them on the ship and then just watch them yeah, over and over and over because that's, that's what you had. Hey, Nowadays, well, you know what? The radio, if you listen to the radio now, it's just the same songs over and over and over again, yeah. too. So. Well, that's true. But I don't know as far as where we're at as a society, I don't I don't see it primarily as the sexual age, sexualization aspect. The sexualization is being used for purposes beyond that. And that is simply just to um, be destructive. Everything I see going on in so many of the movements, if you look at BLM and Antifa and, and, and you know, just the extreme left, uh, along with these types of things, like you mentioned with Lil Nas X, it, 
it's all designed to just simply destroy. When you talk about critical, Satan is the destroyer. Right. Critical theory is meant to question and then tear down, tear apart everything. When you tear anything apart, when you tear something down, then it gives the opportunity for that void that, you know, now there's a void. So Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. can fill it. So it's just, they're in the process of just anything they can possibly get their hands on to tear down and destroy. It gives them an opportunity then to fill it with whatever they want. So there, there, there are no limits. And so that's when you see this, uh, this craziness. I mean, um, where we're celebrating that. Yeah. I mean, I, that the celebration is called freedom. And here's the thing. It's called freedom. Right. They, they look at this as being, I'm free to do the most outrageous, absurd, degrading thing possible. I, I have see. that freedom, but it's not freedom. Yeah. The, the heroin addict is that thinks he's free to shoot heroin is not free. Yes. I see you being a slave to, to every instinct and desire, everything that crops up in you. You become, you a, just you, do it. You become a, um, you become in bondage to yourself, your right. most baser nature Right. that, that Jesus came to give us a new life and free us up from our fallen baser nature. It's all about a search. When you said like that leaves a void and it ha- then they can fill it with whatever. And I just thought, I always think, and, and I genuinely more and more, um, I think it's maybe being younger than you and interacting more with younger people and people who are going towards these things and fall prey to some of these things. And I I feel for them because they have this all removed and it's this search for more and this search for identity. And they think it's in these, well, who am I? I have to figure out who I am. What's my identity and exploring all of these things. And they're told that that's the way to do it. And I, I feel really bad for them because i know they feel very lost and they really are looking for something i think you're onto something they want to fill their lives with with um the things that satisfy them but they don't know what satisfies them yeah you know they 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 have these desires and and they fill them so they end up filling themselves with themselves and the problem mm-hmm. is is they're they don't they're not happy with themselves most people are not happy with themselves and they're looking for something more and then they end up filling themselves with whatever it is that they desire. And they're filling themselves with themselves, which they're unhappy with. And when you when you don't have a God, when you remove God, the only other option is that man becomes God and that you become your own God. I think Jocko will Unlivable. Has, a, has a book by this title, but I know I've heard him talk about it. And I completely agree. And I've, I've, I've taught about it myself from scripture is that discipline actually is freedom. When I discipline my life and, it, and I have control over my life, that gives me the freedom now to pursue the things that I want to do because I'm not because I'm not in bondage to undisciplined behavior. Yes, that, I can weigh, time, I can choose right. yes or no. I can actually decide if I and weigh right. options right. rather exactly. than just be a slave to whatever my wherever my base desire is pulling me. And I can choose the good things, the productive things to do rather than the unproductive things that my baser nature just pulls me in those directions. I also wonder how has the way the American church has been addressing social issues 
and the sexuality issues and how that has impacted some of this and the culture. And we've talked a lot about in some of our conversations about kind of a watered down gospel. And it, I think, leads has led to some of this that that's all a lot of grace which it is a great message to preach there are people who need to hear that grace 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 but at some point when do we also teach uh, a changing of your behavior right i um again i'll go back to pastor young he used to say that he had you know a friend that was a traveling uh you know speaker and he said you know if i go into a church that really is uh grace oriented I'll, I'll preach discipline you know i'll I'll preach um accountability and you know uh, those kinds of things if i go into a church that's really legalistic, legalistic then i'm going to preach grace i mean we all are in different places but um the church a good portion of the church has taken a hold of this idea that love is the ultimate and it actually i think you touched on this some in your message yesterday is how do you you have to know what that you define it yeah how you define it it's not our definition of love it needs to be god's definition of love and so when we just talk about love and we put man's definition of love on it then anything that i can say that i love becomes good and it can't be questioned and it can't be rejected because the you know christianity says that the most important thing is to love god and love others as ourselves so the idea of love and we can't you know don't judge and all these kind of things you have to just love each other so love 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 that's and hey i'm all for that but it's not our definition of love it's god's definition of love so it's it's a it's a perversion and that's exactly what um satan i i've i've taught before satan is a pervert (laughs) That's what he does. He takes God's truth and he perverts it. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, that's exactly what he did when he told Adam and Eve. He said, if you eat, the reason God doesn't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is because if you do, you'll become like him, knowing good from evil. And in that, he told the truth. They, They gained the knowledge of good and evil, but he was perverting that contextually because, yes, they will know good and evil like God if they ate it. But that's not why God didn't want them to eat it. God didn't want them. It wasn't that God didn't want them to become like him, knowing good and evil. He knew that he had not created them to be able to handle the distinction. Yes, he was protecting them. He was protecting them. Exactly. So he's, he made a true factual statement, but he perverted it in the way yeah. that he presented it. And it not only was God protecting them in giving them that command, but then which and then goes to show you that all of his commands then are designed to protect us right. and to offer us the best God life. God is not a cut. And when he expelled them, and when he expelled them out of the garden, because the tree of life was still there, that was a, you think, oh, that's how rude to kick them out. But actually he knew that they would eat, even as he said, don't eat of that, the tree of, or the tree of life now, he knew that they would. And so for their own good, he had to tell them to leave because they were in this fallen state right. and separated from him. Don't now eat from the tree of life and put yourself in that state forever. Rather, right. I'm going to send you out and provide a way to, to repair this. Right. And he says that specifically that they have to be um, put out of the garden of Eden because right. if they stay there, they'll eat from the tree of life and they'll live and you'll forever, be stuck like this forever, forever in they live forever separated from God. From God. Yeah. Well, that was a little, not necessarily the direction I thought we were going to go, but 
we have talked about, um, I guess on that idea of grace and just looking at Christian behavior, like the Christian life and that idea of it's really a turning away from sin. And we've talked a lot about, uh, especially the verse in first John three, four through 10, the passage that talks about, you know, you don't keep on no one who knows God keeps on sinning. And, but then we have moments of talking about, well, if these, some of these things you read them and you think, well, none of us are going to heaven. If any of us are going to make it, there must be a lot more grace than we realize. Um, You said something along those lines to me a while back. And, um, but on the other hand, then if it is that much grace, we might be surprised at who we see there, not going towards a universalism idea, but yeah, I'm certainly not a universalist. I'm I'm also uh, not a Calvinist. Yes. Uh, um, I'm I'm a Calvinian, where uh, I do recognize that God has some providential oversight of this creation. There's no doubt about that, and even of my life, because there are people a lot smarter than myself that have not figured out that they need Jesus. So why am I smart enough to figure out that I need it? But at the same time. I have the ability to uh, choose, and I do on a daily basis, whether I'm going to be obedient to him or uh, do my own thing. And I've thought about this a lot because I listened to a podcast that's got some Calvinists on it. And I think about if you're saying that I don't sin because God has predestined that I not sin and I be saved, then when I do disobey God, then has he also predestined that? Yes. If my life is predestined. So anyways, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, the idea of this is a thing I've been on for a while, um, and I have questions about it. But when it talks about we don't continue to sin, I don't think it's saying that we uh, don't disobey God sometimes because we all know that we do. Uh, we don't sin in that the Bible, when the Bible in the New Testament talks about sinners, it refers to the unsaved. It doesn't <laughs> refer to Christians who disobey God. It refers to the unsaved. Um, so I disobey God, but it is not counted as sin against me. It doesn't, I think of it as like an accounting procedure. It doesn't accrue to my account. It, there's, not, there's not some check mark going down on a ledger saying there's another one, Randy sinned again, Randy sinned right. again. Why? Because as it says in, this, in 1 John 3 in the passage you referred, that because his seed is in me and it remains in me. I'm born again of his seed, not of fallen man's seed. And that's something, you know, um, it, it's a really very basic teaching that hardly anybody understands. The reason that we're all sinful, and Psalm 51.5 says that we are sinful at conception. In our mother's womb, we're sinful. Well, how can that be? I haven't done anything. I haven't even had a conscious thought. Well, because I'm the product of fallen seed. Every, all seed produces after its own kind, and, and seed passes through man. In the Bible, seed is passed through man. So every person that's ever been conceived since Adam sinned is a product of fallen seed. So every person is sinful at conception. We are saved not from the bad things we've done or the wrong things we've done. We are saved from who we are. That's why right. Jesus had to be born of a virgin. If she had been, if he had been conceived by Joseph, he also would have been sinful and therefore not met the, the standard of a perfect sacrifice. So when I'm born again, that's the seed I become born of, not no longer the seed of fallen man. So when 
I do disobey God, and I certainly do, it's not counted against me as sin. It doesn't mean I should ignore it. It doesn't mean I shouldn't be repentant, but I shouldn't be con live in this con uh, continual condemnation that I've blown it again, and I'm hopeless, and God doesn't love me, and I'm not saved. Right. So I agree with you here that when we're saved, we might, we still mess up. It doesn't mean we're unsaved, but in the ESV, in this passage, it phrases this as you don't make a practice of sinning. So if you're saved, you don't live in a continual sin. And this is where in the past you and I have discussed, where does this land with people who say they're Christians, they know the gospel, they say they believe Jesus is who he says he is. And you could even see some fruit of that possibly in their lives, but they live in some kind of continual sin that they have somehow squared justified. or justified in their mind based on their theology, which we would sit down and say, this is just faulty theology. Are they going to be punished for having faulty theology? Well, there's the perfect example of going back to love, the idea of love, because they say to themselves, I sincerely, genuinely love God. And I love that he sent Jesus to die for my sins. And I know that he did. And because I love him, then I have this thing in my life, this practice, this continual thing that scripture says I shouldn't be doing, right. but I'm, I'm going to now justify or rationalize that it's not sin. And I do believe I'm going to be saved because God knows that I love him. What do you do about that? Well, let's look at what the, again, what the Bible says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Yeah, so when, that's what I was going to say. So when, when the Bible says, uh, so there's again, the, how do we define love? The Bible defines love as my obedience, my the actions of my life, my obedient actions to God's instruction about how to live. Not about the fact that my heart is so grateful that there's a good God and that Jesus died for me. Yes, that's good. Absolutely. But the love that God is most concerned about is that if you love me, then you will obey my commands. And so when my scripture says, don't do that, and you rationalize or justify it because you say, well, I still love God. Um, I, I'm not saying you're unsaved. I don't know. That's not my place. When the Bible talks about judgment. This is another thing, you know, people will say, right, well, judge not, to, not no. lest you be judged. The, when the Bible talks about judgment, it has nothing it's to do with judging right eternal and wrong. determination yes. of someone's soul. Okay, I don't have the place to do that. I do not make the eternal determination of someone's soul. However, I am instructed to examine their fruit. So yeah. I am a fruit inspector, but I'm not a judge. <laughs> so, um, you know, and the Bible makes that clear when it says that. Um, I, I think that, one, it's important that you understand that for a person that's in that place. Let's say there's a person that's out there that's justifying some kind of behavior, saying, well, I love God. I know scripture says this, but I think, you know, I, I've got- well, we can just say the easy one and the one hot topic would be homosexuality, living in a same-sex relationship. Okay. I wasn't- I mean, there are plenty to, of people you who- you want to put the word on it, I'll put the word on it. Um, there are yeah. other, I'm sure there are other examples, like people with anger right. issues and say, I don't know, it's righteous anger, gluttony. You could see that, but- I think an easy one to use and people are probably thinking it as they listen to this is someone right. living in a same sex relationship. Right. The Bible clearly tells us in plain language. And I've, I've done all the research on this. I've read all the counter arguments and they're nonsense. They are word salad. They are uh, theological exegetical uh, gymnastics 
um, to try. You forgot to, hermeneutical. Hermeneutical to to justify something that is crystal clear in plain language, and that's the kind of thing that we do and say, oh, but I, you know, that this it doesn't really mean that when it clearly says it. Right. Typically, if if they're having to bend and over backwards right. and jump through hoops, then it's probably not right. 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 Yeah. Just let it say what it says. And that's where it says the Bible you know, tells us don't be involved in this kind of behavior. This isn't what. And so when I don't when I disobey God's command, then how can I say that that's love when the Bible says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. I don't know where those people, you know, that's not for my play. That's not for me to judge. Uh, I'm glad that God is gracious. Um, but I would say this to them. Look, um, you can read. You have a Bible, read it. Uh, don't try to twist it and, and, and you know bend it and all those kind of things to make it fit what you want it to. Uh, it'd probably be best for you if you um, just try to obey God's command. <laughs> and that's it. It also doesn't say that that is easy. Well, because I'm saved and I have right. a heart for Jesus, right. I should just no longer right. desire it. No, that's what taking up your cross is daily. It says take up your cross right. daily, deny yourself. You have to. Make a decision daily to kill your flesh. Well, right. And let me just put this warning out there for somebody that may be listening to this. If you don't get involved, don't try it. Don't get, because once you've experienced it, it gets even, it gets harder. I, right. I did not grow up as a Christian. I am, I'll say, tempted by things, you know, uh, almost 40 years later after becoming a Christian that, you know, my wife has no temptation for because she was never exposed to some them. smells that make me want to throw up. Yeah. I love the smell <laughs> of pot. I mean, it, it makes me drool, man. Um, not that I'm going to do it because you learn and you grow, but I loved, I loved it. Uh, but you learn and you grow and you understand that it's not the best. It's not, you know, if God says not to become intoxicated with alcohol, well, then I probably shouldn't get intoxicated with something else either. So, you know, that's how you take scripture and you can apply it to other things. But also you realize you grow up and just there's way too much to lose. It wouldn't one, it wouldn't be pleasing to God. It wouldn't be good for me because I form habits way too easily. Um, and it, it could be, you know, you know start to take control of your life. And I have, I'm so blessed. I'd have so much to lose. It just doesn't make sense. But that doesn't mean that when I smell it, it's like, I take an extra deep breath. I mean, <laughs> okay. Mom doesn't, she just has that doesn't have that issue because she was never exposed to it. You're not tempted by something that you've not been exposed to. So if you know that there's something you shouldn't do, don't do it. Don't even begin to start, you know, playing with that because it may become an issue and it does get hard. It is harder. When I first became a Christian, it was harder not to give into that if it was around because I had been exposed to it. I knew what it was. Yeah. And I, I'm uh, using a lot of the first, second, third Johns here, I guess, is where I'm at today. But in second John, right, that's, and this is just one warning out of many warnings like this. This idea of, he says, there's deceivers out there. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we worked, what you've worked for, but, but may win your full reward. So just protecting, setting up also barriers. There's a lot of proverbs about that too. Just remove yourself from those situations and- Bad company corrupts good character. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> Those are all the ways to say it. But I it's used to really tell people, it's like, I used to think that uh, I may end up spending a little time you know, in jail. And it wasn't that big of a deal to me because everybody I knew had spent time in jail. 
once I got away from those people, I realized that wasn't normal. Everybody doesn't spend time in jail. <laughs> a couple of days after we had had that kind of conversation about the people who have, you know, justified their sin and just have a bad theology. I read a little bit later in first John, because I think while we were talking about this, I was reading through first John. So in first John five in verses 16 and 17, it talks about if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And I thought, could this be that sin? Ones that people truly don't, don't are unaware that they're sinning? I'm not sure I understand your question. Are you asking about- Like what the is, sin what that doesn't lead to death? This, this there, idea that the, there's sin okay. that doesn't lead to death. Don't try to label the sins that don't lead to death. What you do is you label the singular sin that does lead to death. Blasphemy of the Holy then by, Spirit? Then by default, you... yes. Then by default, every other sin doesn't lead to death. Doesn't necessarily. because it, Right, because it can be forgiven. Yes. If it's repentant of and forgiven through Christ, you know, confessing him as savior, understand. But if you blaspheme the Holy if, Spirit, right, by you, default, you will never repent exactly. of your it, sins. Because the only sin that we're told that is unpardonable is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us in regard to sin, judgment, and righteousness. So if we reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit of our need of salvation, then obviously we are not saved. So that is the sin that leads to death. Every other sin can be forgiven. Doesn't mean it automatically is. It means it can be if we confess our need of a savior. And, yeah. But it's not just the confessing. It's like when we confess it, like you'd go back pointing out the meaning of words in your sermon yesterday. When I, to confess Jesus as my savior and Lord means I'm also going to do what? I'm going to obey his commands. If I've really believed this, now I'm going to start That's living the my idea. life. Yes, it's not live. just a matter of if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I've always said, okay, you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Right. If he truly is Lord, that means he is lording over your life. He is leading, ruling your life. It's not just a simple saying, a saying, Jesus is right. Lord. The saying, <laughs> it, it, Jesus, either, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. The one kind of last group of people that we talked about was people who have never heard the gospel. And yeah, we hear the whole thing of, well, Jesus isn't going to return until the gospel has gone all over the world, but people have passed in the meantime. And I can't remember what you had said, but I said something about this idea that Jesus, when he died, and he went to hell to defeat Satan. Is that when he offered like these people who never heard the gospel, were they given an opportunity now that Jesus, now that there was a savior um, uh, to cover their sin, to accept that or like, or those who died, you know, prior to Jesus even being on the earth and prior to his death and resurrection. But then that kind of gets into this idea of like a, a purgatory and that doesn't right. seem right. I'm going to give you a perfectly sound theological answer. I don't know. First Corinthians 13 says until perfection comes, we only know in part, we only yep. see in part. I used that one yesterday looked, too. The last time I looked around, perfection had not come. Okay. Um, so it's okay for me to say, I don't know. Right. I've 
I've, I've read arguments on both sides that when Jesus goes to preach to the captives, um, that that is what he's doing. Those who have not heard the name prior to his coming and possibly those who have lived, say, uh, I think we brought up the Afghani women or something that they, right. you know, they've never heard. They've, it's very possible. The right. They've being, been so insulated in, right. yeah, in Muslim culture and that they very well never may never have heard the name of Jesus. Right. But clearly they have some desire or knowledge of more of a spiritual nature and of a God because they have this really perverted Islam is like a perverted Christianity. And so it's just wrong, but they, cause they're missing Jesus. Right. And whether they know the name Jesus or the person Jesus, think about this. They've, some of them have grown up all their lives in the Islamic culture, say under Sharia law, which is incredibly repressive to them as women. And yet, without having knowledge that there is anything else available, they desire freedom. That, that should speak of the human nature that God puts in us, that God has created as laid out in our founding documents, that we are created with this yearning to be free and what it means to be free and how people are willing to give their lives to be free. So they may not know the name Jesus, but they know that Islam is not, not. the answer. And that is not what they want. And again, I, I think that God's this is just my opinion because I don't know. I have a hard time imagining a just God holding them accountable for something that they never had an option to receive. And somehow, right. some way, he is going to present that opportunity. Give them a way for it. Yeah. Not saying that they're all going to be redeemed. Right. But there's going to somehow have be to make an, an opportunity. individual decision just like there's you going and I to did. Be, yes. Yeah. So that's, uh, I guess, a more hopeful point uh, to end on, maybe, that there will be this. Uh, there's always this opportunity, I think. You know, it, like I said yesterday in my, in my message that God's word is true and his promises are true. And so the most important promise of all was that promise of salvation. And so, right. if, and if he's the same yesterday and today and forever, then that means that that opportunity will always be there. There will always right. be an opportunity for you to turn and to accept that um, salvation, that restoration to him. And as I always tell people, you can set aside all the theological um, study. You don't have to be a biblical expert. You don't have to be an apologist. Here's what I can tell you from myself personally. Everything I've ever learned from scripture that I applied to my life has worked. Worked. If it wasn't true, it wouldn't always work. But, and I think you, you know, you address the topic of truth as well. It's true. And God's word true. proves true. That's why people who don't even believe in the Bible and maybe don't even know the Bible live by these proverbs, right. which they don't even realize are scripture or scripturally right. and, and based they because they them. recognize that it right. leads to the, a good outcome. Non-Christians, I've seen it time and time again, non-Christians practice Christian biblical principles and it works for their lives. Why? Because they're true, they're true principles. They're true. And, you know, I would just close with this just as an encouragement. A lot of people reject this idea of uh, salvation, the gospel, because they, they hear it as a condemning message. It's like, you're a no good sinner and you're just a terrible person. Remember, we're not being saved 
from what we've done, we're being saved from who we who are. We are. And that's true of every single person that has ever lived since Adam. And it's not necessarily your fault. What is your responsibility is now with that knowledge, what do you do with it? All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. And like we mentioned, we'll be back with you later this week with Cade and we'll be breaking down uh, the Afghanistan debacle and all of that. Also, we have been submitted now to pretty much every podcast platform out there. I did that today. So it takes a couple of days. So hopefully we'll be up there by we'll see you by the next episode, maybe. But for the meantime, continue to like, share, comment on Podbean and we'll see you next time.